pray. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for this beautiful evening. Uh, thank you for uh, the rain and the sunshine that you caused to fall on the, the just and the unjust uh, and your common grace and uh, general love for, for your creatures and even those who were in rebellion against you. And uh, we thank you uh, all the, the much more for, for the gospel, the good news of your son and for your everlasting redemption and eternal life in him. And I pray that you would teach us and instruct us and build us up in your holy word, uh, that we would have uh, an eternal, uh, everlasting hope, uh, one, that, uh, one that's secure and uh, firm uh, in your son. And I pray that uh, you bless our, our time together and that uh, we continue to, to grow uh, in, in your word and uh, we look forward to uh, when we can uh, gather again to uh, study, study the Torah and to study Genesis and uh, the whole counsel of, of your word. So we thank you for these things and pray in your son's name. Amen. So tonight we are back in Numbers chapter 12. We were in 11. And we had been looking at uh, their, after their year stay at Sinai, uh, that they began to head out after the, the Passover and another Passover for those who, who hadn't had it on the 20th and three days out. And looking forward to the, the promises, uh, going to the promised land now, uh, it's not that, that far away to uh, inherit uh, the place and be planted by God in the place that he had prepared uh, for them over 400 years before uh, and promised uh, to Abraham. Uh, and so that they could uh, inherit this uh, place and uh, dwell in the presence of God and to enjoy uh, his blessing, his provision, uh, his presence, and that they would be a blessing to, to all nations, a uh, kingdom of priests, uh, a holy nation. And so uh, they set out on a positive note, but then they arrive at uh, Tabera, and uh, the people are complaining and so fire comes down upon them. And so pillar of cloud, uh, pillar of fire by night uh, to, uh, to keep them from the, the sun and to give them shade. And at night to give them heat and, and light, uh, by, the, by the way. But now fire comes down like on Nadav and Abihu and consumes some of the, the outskirts of the, the camp where, where people were complaining. And then they went, uh, Moses interceded, and the fire was quenched. They went to uh, Kivrot Hatava, uh, Tabera, burning, Kivrot Hatava, graves of the craving, uh, their gluttonous desires and passions uh, that they had. And here it spreads to the sons of Israel. Uh, and even Moses starts complaining. And so how the camps were laid out, uh, they had... Uh, a ring uh, to the east, south, west, north, uh, three tribes each, and Judah, Judah to the, the east at the, at the center. And I think uh, Issachar and Zebulun were on either side, and then Reuben to the south, and so on uh, around, around the camp. And then uh, on the inside of them, you had the, the Levites. And the Levites hadn't all joined in. Now Aaron did, and Nadav and Abihu were consumed when they, they offered strange fire to Yahweh that he had not commanded, that was not authorized. And so you can't just come to God on your own terms, uh, at the own place that you desire, with what you desire, in the way that you desire. But he laid out, how to approach him, uh, how to seek him, how to give him proper worship and, and serve and, and give thanks to God. And they offered strange fire and were consumed. And now the, the camp, the Israelites are, are consumed. And 
But with the, the golden calf, the Levites didn't all join in. Uh, even though Aaron, they got him to make the, the golden calf, uh, and his, two of his sons were destroyed. Uh, the Levites did not join in uh, with the, uh, the festivities, but they joined with Moses and struck down the people who were, who were in rebellion, uh, worshiping the, the calf. And so I suppose we'll have to maybe keep an eye out. If Dan comes, I hope he doesn't go to the, the other room, but oh. he, he'll, he'll probably find us. Uh, but and Nancy too. But um, and so the Levites didn't join in. And the Levites, they're on the inside around the tabernacle, and so like Judah is to the east, and then uh, you have like Moses and Aaron and such uh, to the the east, and and so around uh, around the tabernacle, they're they're uh, kind of a line of protection and for serving and ministering in in God's tabernacle. And then you have the tabernacle at the at the the center. And some hypothesize that maybe where were the Gentiles, maybe on the outskirts or you know, who who knows? Uh so you had these uh these rings around the tabernacle, uh, tabernacle, Levites around it to, to protect and minister, and then the uh the tribes, uh three to east, south, west, and north. And so you see from the outskirts, the burning at Taberah, and then they go to Kivro at Hatava, and the sons of Israel join in. And Moses hears their, their complaining and grumbling in their, in their tents around the, the camp. And so the, the, the complaining, the attitude uh, that they have it bad, they have it wrong, they had it better in Egypt. Uh, we saw the seven things they, they said that they in Egypt. So they, they had everything in Egypt. But here we have nothing to look at except this manna. So they had everything in Egypt, nothing, uh, nothing here. Well, except, except this manna to look at. Uh, and so it spreads throughout the camp and God gives the quail. It's provision of judgment. He doesn't make them starve. But 30, uh, 30 days full full month of days of quail, uh, as he, he puts it. But even then, some of them like, bit right, right into the quail. They couldn't resist themselves, even though they weren't starving. And so he struck them down uh, with a great blow upon the people. Now, as we transition from uh, Tabera to Kivrot Hatava, now they depart and go to Hazerot, uh, after the, the graves of the craving, uh, now at Hazerot, uh, Miriam and Aaron are going to complain uh, against Moses, uh, and they're going to they're going to, to rebel. Uh, and so you see it spreading now to the very inner circle uh, to Aaron and Miriam. Aaron was Moses' prophet, and she was a prophetess. Uh, right with with Moses to the east of the uh, the the tabernacle, and so you see this spreading of the, this complaining, and it, it's going to culminate uh, in the the following chapter uh, after this this section. Uh, they go to enter into the the land, and the spies come back, and ten of them, except for Caleb and Joshua, they give a bad uh, report, a, a false report, false testimony. Uh, even going so far, I remember uh, one scholar talking about how they falsely testified against the land where they, they speak about some of the good and they show, they show the fruit and the produce that they, they brought back. Uh, even from, I'm trying to think of the, the valley of, uh, is it Eshkol, uh, where they, that was even a place, I think it was maybe near uh, Mamre uh, and also by the, the the cave of Machpelah that Abraham bought. And so this important area, and they go and bring produce back, and they're talking about uh, what, what good the land is, and they see it. But then they start talking about uh, how the people are too mighty for them, and you know they shouldn't enter, or they'll be destroyed. But then after that, even after like Caleb and Joshua speak against us and tell the truth, 
they lay it on even even thicker. The towers were up to heaven. We were grasshoppers before that. <laughs> really, grasshoppers? Come on, <laughs> that's a little that's a little uh, extreme. Uh, in the land, it's a land that consumes those who dwell in it. And so one scholar was saying that they falsely testify against the land that the land consumes the people who dwell in it. Uh, it's like they brought back you know, the, the rich produce from the land, uh, it will consume us. Uh, and so uh, it's going to culminate in that. And eventually, at 40, 40 years uh, in the, the wilderness, the whole first generation will die. Miriam, Moses, and Aaron will rebel against God. And they'll have to die too. And it's only the second generation with Joshua and Caleb who will enter. And so uh, here we're just seeing the uh, the increasing in intensity and th this complaining, this bitterness, this unbelief and rebellion against God and his prophet Moses, his faithful servant, as he'll call him, uh, only intensifies as they go along the way. So let's read through the, the text. We'll just start, really start, uh, chapter 11, verse, let's do 34 instead of 35, just so we get the tail end of uh, the last place. Uh, Therefore, the name of that place was called Kivrot Hatava, Graves of the Craving, uh, because there they buried the people who had the craving. So it brought them down to Sheol. To the, to the pit, to, the, to their graves and in deaths, their, their sinful passions. From Kivrot Hatava, the people journeyed to Hazarot, and they remained at Hazarot. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has Yahweh indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And Yahweh heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly Yahweh said to Moses and to Arian, Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And Yahweh came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward. And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, Yahweh, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth. Clearly and not in riddles, he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then... Were you not afraid to speak against my servant, Moses? And the anger of Yahweh was kindled against them, and he departed. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, do not punish us, because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to Yahweh, O oh God, please heal her, please. But Yahweh said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days. And after that, she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march till Miriam was brought in again. After that, the people set out from Hazarot and camped in the wilderness of Paran. And so here we see it goes from them being brought down to the graves to the rebellion only continuing right into the very next scene. And so from Kivrot Hatava, the people journeyed to Hazarot and they remained at Hazarot. So this is the third stop along the way. Uh, 
and going from the burning on the outskirts uh, to the, the blow of the quail around the camp, now right to Miriam and Aaron. Uh, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, before he had married a Cushite woman. So Miriam and Aaron. And now think back just to Moses' birth. You have Miriam, you have Aaron, you have Moses, all from same parents. Uh, his father is uh, Amram or Amram, uh, and uh, his mother, uh, Yochabed, or Jochabed, as they uh, translate it. And I think some of that comes even from German, how, how they bring it into English. But here are his siblings. And if you think about it, uh, who's the oldest and who's the youngest of the, of the three? Maybe you, you recall? Moses is the youngest. Yeah, yeah. And Aaron, when they set out, Moses was 80. Aaron was 83. And when Aaron died, he was 123. And when Moses died, uh, he was 120. And so Aaron was about uh, three years older than Moses. And it wasn't Aaron who walked out and was watching over the Tev his little ark that his mother set out after three three months that she protected him, uh, being protected from being exposed, cast into the Nile, uh, killing their uh, their young male infants, uh, decree from Pharaoh uh, that must have started after, after Aaron. But it was Miriam who went out and was speaking with Pharaoh, uh, the daughter of Pharaoh and reasoning, and, you know, she was... Uh, pretty clever. Uh, should I get one of the, the, the Hebrews, Hebrew women, uh, to, to nurse him for you? <laughs> and she goes and gets her mother. You know, Aaron was just a toddler. You know, he, he probably <laughs> probably didn't uh, have those conversational skills <laughs> with, with Pharaoh's daughter. So Miriam, pretty certain Miriam was the, the oldest of, of all of them. And she was even, she was a prophetess. Uh, go, let's look at... Uh, Exodus 15. And so uh, Miriam, uh, the very uh, oldest of, of her siblings, uh, Aaron was the oldest of the, of the males. And so he would have naturally had uh, the right of the firstborn, uh, the blessing, uh, the, the greater portion of the inheritance uh, from, from his father, and so by human standards, Aaron is the firstborn son and Miriam, their, their older uh, sister. And so that led just to a natural sort of uh, maybe an entitlement, uh, superiority of, over their, uh, their younger, younger brother, uh, Moses. And look at the end of uh, the poem uh, that... Well, look at verse 20, Exodus 15, verse 20. And so after the poem that, uh, and song that, that Moses sings in, in the people, uh, then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to Yahweh, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. He is cast into the sea. And so she's leading the, the women as a, as a prophetess. And Aaron's a, a, a prophet to Moses. And Moses was, I'll make, I'll make you as, as God to Aaron, your brother. He'll be your prophet. He'll be your mouth. You, you speak for me. I'll give you the words. You give them to Aaron. He'll, he'll speak for you. And here Miriam is, uh, is a prophetess as well, leading, uh, leading the women. And so they took a leadership role and. Uh, there's even a quotation in uh, Micah, as I recall, that even speaks about the, the role of sending uh, Moses and Aaron and Miriam to, to lead the people uh, in, in the wilderness. So back in Numbers uh, 12. And so just as his siblings, as the prominence and Aaron, not only is he the firstborn of their male children, so the firstborn son, but uh, he was... He was a prophet. Uh, he, he was a spokesman for, for Moses. 
uh, on behalf of God. Uh, he was uh, made to be the high priest. Uh, he even had an emblem that they wear like a crown around the, the turban, the, the headpiece they'd wear that said, holy to the Lord. And so he's a crown, the, the, the royalty uh, as far as, as God's priest. And you see that, like we've talked about, we won't have opportunity, but in the future, Lord willing, Barry saw that they would bow down to Moses, Pharaoh, and the people and give tribute uh, into the people too. They're a kingdom of priests, but Moses was uh, this leader that God had appointed because he, he sent him uh, and he brought this about, uh, the, the work of God. Uh, and so you, you see these themes, but also with uh, Aaron, I think it's his, his son, Phinehas, who married the daughter of Nashon. Uh, and Nashon, uh, his father, I think it was Aminadav. Uh, Aminadav, Nashon. If you read the Messianic line, he was a prince among the people of the tribe of Judah. And so with Phinehas, with whom God makes his priestly covenant, which will later be established with Zadok, the time of, uh, the time of Solomon, and even in Samuel, when uh, you, you have this poem by Hannah, and she talks about how God will establish his anointed. Well, if you read in context, it's not just the king, but he's going to raise up a priest in place of Eli and his wicked sons who were illegitimate. He's going to raise up Zadok. And so, uh, Phinehas, you have, you have the, the Levites, but you also have uh, Nashon, I th think his father, uh, Aminadav, who was a, a prince among, among the people. You know, he, he was an official leader over the, the tribe. And so you have sort of this priestly royal line, even like with the Levites uh, in Aaron, you know, with the, the crown, the, the emblem that, that they'd uh, wear. I think even pharaohs would wear like similar sort of things and such but you know it's it's a picture of like a, a crown holy, holy to the lord and he served before god in in his tabernacle and so no small figure uh in israel as far as the the offices that god has has established and so these are prophets uh, these are priests you know that they have a, a royal pedigree uh, within israel to think that you know that uh, that they've been given great, great responsibility in, uh, in Israel. And so now they turn their guns on, on Moses. So uh, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. And so now his own siblings, brother and sister, and his own prophet come against him. And it's also interesting in Hebrew, Vatedaber Miriam de Aharon de Moshe. Vatedaber. It's in the feminine, singular. Vatedaber, spoke. Miriam, Miriam. Ve'aharon, and Aaron. And so, the feminine, Miriam's taken the lead uh, in, in speaking against Moses. Uh, it, it, yep, Aaron's joining in, but it, it's kind of like in the, the garden. You had the serpent, then you had the woman, and the man. And you listen to the voice, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, uh, and uh, disobeyed him in eating from the tree, of which God said to him, you shall not eat from it. And so the man had a responsibility before God in being uh, the first who, who was created, and his wife from him, and them set over the, uh, to rule over the, the beasts of the earth. He had a responsibility to listen to God, but he listened to his wife instead, and she listened to the, uh, to the, the serpent, uh, the uh, Satan who comes in the, the form of a serpent, and they're, they're listening to the, the creature, the, the created being, uh, instead of taking dominion and, uh, as God's servants, God's stewards. And so Miriam is leading uh, this uh, along the way, uh, and Aaron's joining in, and we'll see with the punishment that it's going to fall centrally on Miriam uh, because of, because of what, what she's doing. And so Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. 
uh, because or concerning uh, the, the Cushite woman whom he had married, uh, for he had married a Cushite woman, or maybe be that he had married a, a Cushite woman, but uh, be, because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And now who's this Cushite woman or this Cushite uh, in Hebrew? Cushite woman. When did he marry a Cushite woman? He married a Midianite. You know, we know of, we know of Zipporah and uh, her father Jethro, Reuel. He was priest of Midian. Uh, and Hobab uh, appeared just before this. Uh, and so uh, it connects. Uh, at the one end, at Sinai, last we know of Zipporah, uh, her father Jethro brought, uh, brought her and her two sons uh, right when they were just outside of Sinai uh, to, to meet, meet back up. And so it's almost, you know, maybe just a little over a year uh, after that took, took place. And so they didn't go th through all of the, well, maybe not all of the Exodus, sometime between traveling uh, along the, the way when Zipporah had to circumcise her son uh, and the, uh, the signs, the plagues, the exodus, she met back up with, uh, with Jethro, her, her father, and they were reunited. And so some hypothesize, well, maybe Zipporah died, or maybe he married another, another woman, but we don't see anywhere where he had other sons or where it mentions another wife. And he had connected to Jethro before Sinai and Hobab back in chapter 10, right before this, right when they were setting out. And so Zipporah should be closely connected. And so Cushai woman, well, go look at, let's see, Genesis chapter 10. Let's see if uh, Midian is connected with Cush uh, in, in any way. There, there are a couple, re few reasons why this, uh, this might be. And so... Look at verse 6. Uh, the sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. Canaan. So you have these four. Next verse, the sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Ramah, and Sabtaha. The sons of Ramah, so son of Cush, Sheva, and Dedan. And now go look at, and so we, we see uh, Rama in, in various, these are various, uh, they include names of people, individuals, uh, but also like clans, tribes, peoples, nations, languages, as they, they expanded and, and went, uh, went out in the, the table of nations. And so Cush uh, was located south of Egypt uh, and really in the region of around Nubia, south of Egypt, and maybe expanded kind of west uh, into Ethiopia, although Nubia and Ethiopia may be identified together, not necessarily exa exactly where Ethiopia is today, uh, but uh, in Greek, uh, they use a, a term along the lines of Ethiopia for, uh, for Cush. And so uh, s south of Egypt, along the, the Nile, uh, eastern, northeastern coast of Africa, along the, the western uh, coast of the, the Red Sea. Uh, but then some of these uh, spread out uh, even like Sheva and Dedan and, and some of them to the eastern side of the Red Sea or, or West Arabia. Uh, so just on both sides of the, of the, the sea along the eastern coast of Africa, uh, south of Egypt, and on the western coast of Arabia. And now Genesis 25. And there are a lot, lot of sections that we could look at. Verse 1, Abraham took another wife, so after Sarah died, whose name was Keturah. She bore him... Uh, Zimran, uh, Yokshan, Medan, Midian, uh, Ishbak, and Shua. 
uh, Yokshan, so uh, one, one of the sons born to Keturah, fathered Sheva and Dedan. Uh, there, there's some little differences where you'll see in, in some of those lists, you'll see like a Yoktan, but this is Yokshan. So uh, you have a difference there, but Sheva and Dedan. And some of them, there's indication that these people, that they even join together. Where you'll see that with like uh, Ishmael uh, and even like in Judges, the Ishmaelites and the, the Midianites and the Eastern peoples are associated together. And Ishmael took an Egyptian for a wife. And so you have this blending, uh, this joining uh, of, of these peoples that, that come forth from some of Abraham's descendants uh, and also uh, earlier, earlier descendants uh, among them. Uh, because pe people groups they don't just stay, you know, every individual that's born doesn't just form its own independent like, people group. They, uh, they, they meld, there's syncretism, blending uh, together. And so here you see Yokshan, Sheva, and Dedan, like we saw from, uh, from Kush, from his descent, Rama. Uh, and they, they live, or, live along Western Arabia, Sheva. Uh, probably to the south and Dedan more to the, the north, even closer uh, up, up around Sinai and such. And some of these people moved around a bit, uh, especially as they uh, traded uh, and through the different seasons as they took care of their uh, flocks and kind of a semi-nomadic lifestyle with like some agriculture, some uh, take, tending of, of flocks and such. But we also saw that uh, he had descendant, let's see, the sons of Dedan were Asherim, Latushim, and Leumim, uh, the sons of Midian. And so you have Midian who also comes from, and he was a Midianite. Uh, uh, Zipporah's father, Jethro Ra'uel, he was a Midian. And so you find connections, and th there are a lot of places we could look in uh, scripture where uh, they are uh, connected. Uh, and also look at, let's see. We'll look at Habakkuk 3, verse 7. And there are other places, Isaiah 60, verse 6. Uh, maybe I can put some more on the website where like Midian and Sheva, you know, they're mentioned together. These are Eastern peoples and such. So Habakkuk 3, verse 7. We won't really have time to, to look at the, the context uh, but this much is very clear. Three verse seven. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. And so he's seeing there are tents, uh, and you have parallelism, synonymous parallelism. Uh, the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. And so Kushan, not Cush, but Kushan, is identified with Midian, whether uh, it may have been a, a city, a location, but associated with, uh, with Midian. And so this is very likely another connection, a showing a connection where she can be called a, 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 Ku, a Kushi a woman uh, that, that he had married. So back to Numbers 12. I, I wondered about that for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. And so, because of the Cushite woman, whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And now, if you think about what's the objection here that they're they're making? I mean, the most obvious from like an Israelite biblical perspective, were they to take foreign women as wives? No, oh, because they, they served different gods. Uh, they lived in idolatry. Uh, they had their, their 
uh, own gods, uh, their own religions that they served, their own altars, their sacrifices uh, that, that they gave. Uh, some of these people even sacrificed their own children among like the Canaanites and such. And so to unite together uh, the, the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, chosen, believing, righteous offspring that, that they're to, to be uh, before, before God, his, his holy people that have been taken out of the world to, to be a blessing, that to unite with the reprobate, unbelieving, rebellious people, the wayward nations around them, was to bring different gods into a marriage. As uh, Dan, he, he put it well when he was with us one week. It's to, it's to bring different gods into that marriage. And so for Christians, it's one thing when you have someone who's married and becomes a Christian. But it's another thing Paul warns about, if, if they consent to live with you, stay. Uh, don't, don't divorce. Your children are sanctified because God is present with you by his Holy Spirit. Your children are sanctified. Maybe uh, your spouse, whether uh, husband or wife, will, will become a, a believer. But for those who are Christians not married or, or a believing Israelite, to marry would be to become unequally yoked. It's to bring different competing gods uh, it's to bring idolatries into that relationship. Uh, they will not serve your God, but they will want you to serve their God. Uh, and their God's going to rule the day. They're not going to serve your God uh, unless God inter intervenes. But uh, other otherwise, they will want you to serve their God, uh, to obey uh, the will of their idols, uh, to make sacrifices and give thanksgiving and offerings to them, uh, and to, to obey them. I mean, apart from God, we're our own gods. And so they'll want you to serve and worship them too, as well as their gods. And so it brings a syncretistic relationship and they'll want their children to serve their gods, their idols, as they live for themselves and their own sinful passions and rebellion against the one true living God. And so to marry a foreign woman uh, would be uh, in, in rebellion against God's teaching. But we know that we know that God taught that for those foreigners who joined the people of Israel, who worshiped Yahweh, who if their men were circumcised or, or women had their, had their uh, sons circumcised, uh, who kept the Passover and the, the, the feasts, uh, the three major major feasts, like the, the Passover, uh, Pen Pentecost, the, the harvest, and, and also, or Feast of Weeks, and also the uh, of, of booths and such, uh, along with the, the Day of Atonement, that if they worshiped God and followed and served him, they were to be treated as one of their own, and not, as, not as a stranger, not as a foreigner, but as a native as an Israelite. And Zipporah, she saved Moses' life because she circumcised her son and made atonement for Moses before God. Here's one who, who serves Yahweh. Her father came to faith in Yahweh. The priest of Midian became a priest of Yahweh and went back to his people. And so you have a glimpse of, of even the, the blessing that comes to the nations around them, or the, the blessing of Abraham that God gave. And so here you have a believer, a believing woman that they're, they're targeting. And so if she, if she had just been an unbelieving uh, foreigner and he suddenly took her as his wife, yeah, of course, but here you have a believer that, th that they're targeting and, uh, and going after. And so he married this Cushite woman. And then it gives them kind of maybe an upper hand that, well, uh, Aaron... His, his children in Phinehas married Nashon, or the, the daughter of, of Nashon and Aminadav. You know, here's a prince among the people. You know, he's marrying, uh, he's marrying among the, uh, the, the people, the, the Israelites and such. And 
So his children, he's not married to, to a, foreign, a foreign woman. Uh, and also, I, I wonder if a part of it, too, I wonder, you see that they constantly want to go back to Egypt in their Egyptian ways, eat the things they eat in Egypt. We had a good back there. I wonder if there's even kind of an Egyptian bias coming out against the uh, Kushites, uh, where you can't even read about, I remember a quote I heard and, and seen, even from like a pharaoh around this time, it might have been a little before, who speaks about smiting the Kushites. <laughs> and so go and sell smiting the, the Kushites and uh, down around the Nile and, you know, they get tribute and mercenaries. And, and so they bring like these people under as kind of their vassals to, uh, to serve and bring them under the, the power of, of Egypt and such. I wonder if there's kind of even like a, not, you know, it'd be enough to have an Israeli and think, we're the, we're the sons of God, you know, we're the, we're the people of God. We're this great, you know, people and mighty and many and uh, such, even though Moses, you were the least of the people. You know, you're, you're the weakest of the people. You know, that's not why I chose you. But that alone, you know, they, they could have that, that attitude. But then as, as Egyptians, like Cushite, you know, <laughs> we, we smite the Cushites, you know, uh, live south of us. They're not Egyptians. Anyone who lives out of Egypt, Egypt is, is the center of the earth, you know, the center of the universe. And if you want go, if you want to be resurrected on the other side and uh, renewed and such, you got to be buried in Egypt. You got to be buried on the west of the Nile. And so I wonder if part of it's even kind of like an Egyptian sort of uh, elitist attitude uh, against uh, the Kushites that she's expressing, which wouldn't be Israelite at all. And we see that the people want weren't their graves in Egypt, and uh, we we had leeks and onions and fish and you know all all these things back in Egypt. And so I, I wonder if the attitude even comes a little bit from, uh, from there. But you certainly have this sort of ethnic element and in, in attack against her. And as far as like, there's always been forms of uh, racism and deep racism and such. And uh, you can find like in Islam and, and elsewhere where Jews and Christians are like pigs and apes and attitudes like that uh, throughout throughout history, but with modern enlightenment, a materialist, you know, the entire universe is to be explained by material stuff. Uh, no purpose, you know, it's just all matter, energy, time, and chance. Uh, that's uh, time, space, and chance. That's, that's all it is. That there's a, a biological racism uh, that's uh, that's developed even started before like Darwin uh, Voltaire uh, said things like that I'll even have it here let's see uh, on this uh, this book it's called the Darwin effect by Jerry Bergman uh, he speaks about Linnaeus, who created a classification system uh, for, for biology and humans, uh, into his binomial nomenclature system as homo sapiens, homo monstrous, and homo ferus. Uh, Fiedler concluded that implicit in Linnaeus's classification was the assumption, uh, quote, the assumption of a hierarchical order which beginning with monstrous man, homo monstrous, mounts, ascends, to wild man, homo ferus, and climbing upward through black, brown, yellow, and red man, then climaxed, end quote, then climaxed, Jerry uh, Bergman, then climaxed in the white Europeans. Uh, the result was a taxonomic system that contributed to creating the new mythology of race that later culminated with social Darwinism. So Darwinism, evolution into society, not just biology from molecules to man, uh, via biological racism. A pupil of Linnaeus named Fabricus tried to explain how he had concluded that the inferiority, uh, the quote, inferiority of the Negroes, end quote, was the result of, quote, crossbreeding between humans and simians. Moreover, 
further mating between black and white. Uh, humans and simians. Simians are human apes that mated. So between the human, human and ape, uh, that's, that's where the inferiority of Negroes comes from, according to Fabricus. Uh, moreover, further mating between black and white, which is to say uh, misgenation uh, in the second degree of uh, mixing, produced, according to the 19th century anthropology, mulattoes, sterile offspring like the mating of horses and asses. And in the last, uh, he quotes uh, Voltaire, in the, late, quote, in the late 1700s, he taught that, quote, Voltaire, the white man is to the black as the black is to the monkey. So white superior to black as the black is to, to the monkey. And so from Voltaire, uh, and Linnaeus, and uh, Linnaeus pupil, Fabricus, and these were influences that Darwin and such built upon. And the book was the origin of species through natural selection or the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. The preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. Because they all, the, the races, they had to diverge across the, uh, the earth and then in their environments through random chance and uh, also through char characteristics and their, their lives would be passed along. And is the white Europeans with their philosophy and uh, their ascent that were more highly, highly evolved. So preservation of favored races. And so there's a difference between biological racism, but both are very ugly. I uh, hear this sort of ethnocentrism and attack on Moses' wife is the Cushite one. Uh, but that wasn't their, that wasn't their real reason. This is, there's an excuse. Uh, verse 2. And they said, has Yahweh indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And see, at the multiplication of the prophets, spirit came upon them. Eldad, Medad, the 70. And so is Moses, is he just another prophet? Has his status been diminished, you know, before God? Uh, and so, kind of emboldened. And uh, Zipporah becomes kind of an avenue to, to attack Moses. That's the real reason. It's a facade to attack, uh, to attack him and to diminish him, their superiority, their authority. They're at least equal to him, if not above. Uh, they, uh, they, they speak for God as well. So they're jealous. Uh, has Yahweh indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And Yahweh they have a point. God has spoken. Uh, there are these other prophets, but, you know, do they measure up to Moses? And Yahweh heard it. And we heard that in the last chapter. Yahweh heard of the people's complaining and uh, such. So that's ominous. Verse 3. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. So <laughs> all people on the face of the earth the man Moses was meek, and we can't get into all the details. We'll talk more about like authorship and such, but Moses, we'll see all of these sources where Moses, all the core content, the framework, uh, the teaching, Deuteronomy, uh, that uh, Moses wrote down, had other people wrote, uh, write down, but we'll also see that he worked with people like Joshua, uh, with Ithamar, the son of Aaron, uh, and such, and if you read like in Deuteronomy, Moses Whenever he speaks, he never says, I'm the most humble man in all the world, more than any man on the face of the earth. It's, well, he worked with others. So like, we'll, uh, we'll see that. Where the, the content uh, and all of it, it uh, comes from Moses and Moses' oversight, but he was working with, with others as well. So he, he didn't necessarily need to make this uh, editorial comment about himself. As, uh, he, was, he was working uh, with, with them as well. Uh, and so... He's a humble man, and you know we've we've seen his, his meekness, and even when he's his his folly uh, with Jethro, but he listens. You know, uh, with, he's judging on his own. He listens to Jethro in the last chapter. Oh, that God would put His Spirit on all people, all of His people. 
He's not jealous about, about it. Joshua is not, not Moses. And suddenly Yahweh said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. Sounds kind of like a father. And we're, we're going to hear more. Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. <laughs> you know, you, you, bickering, uh, you bickering kids, you. Uh, but now it starts with Moses. It started with Miriam, Aaron, uh, speaking against Moses. Now it starts with Moses, Aaron, Miriam. Puts it back in the order of God's appointment, of his prophet, Moses. Moses' prophet, Aaron, and Miriam, their, their sister. Uh, very much like in the garden, the serpent, the man, the woman. Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And Yahweh came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward, or, and the two of them came forward. So three, now two. Now he's singling them out, bringing them all out to try them. He, he's heard this. Nothing is hidden from God's sight or from his hearing. He, he knows all things. And so he calls them out, and now he distinguishes, now you too come here. And so in a theophany at the, the tent, and we can't really speak about some debate whether there were two locations for the tent. It might just be at a central location at this this point. There, there was uh, maybe an earlier tent uh, with the, with the calf, but in the entrance, it's known that his presence is, is there. And he said, so he's, he's going he's gonna to defend, uh, he's going to say that contrast with how he speaks to prophets uh, in, in general, but then how he speaks with Moses, uh, speaking about his uniqueness uh, in, in his household as his faithful prophet. And we'll even see that there's a chiasm through this section. In fact, uh, he'll start with, hear my words. And then he'll question, why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And so, hear my words, and then contrasts prophets, you know, normal prophet, to uh, Moses faithful in his house, to uh, contrasting Moses as a prophet, how he speaks to, to him. So, hear my words. If, listen up. Uh, as, uh, Steve Rungi has even said about some of these things. Hear my words. It's kind of like hitting him like right in the chest. You know, listen up, you know, to, to what, what I'm telling you. <laughs> you're, you're in trouble. And so he's addressing them for, for what the, hear my words. If there is a prophet uh, among you of Yahweh, uh, I, or it, it's literally... If there is a prophet, if, if there is a pro, uh, a prophet of you of Yahweh, a prophet of you of Yahweh, and so it could include them or anyone else uh, as uh, as well. Uh, Yahweh's prophet. It's kind of the most wooden sort of way you, you could bring it about. It's sometimes a hard one to translate. So a prophet among you of Yahweh. Uh, I make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, visibly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And so with a... With a prophet, normal prophet, at the, the beginning, hear my words, if there's a prophet among you of Yahweh, I make myself known to him in a vision, I speak with him in a dream. And vision having to do with sight. And so here, they get a vision, a dream, but it, it's something that it's not so direct as how he speaks with Moses and the, the greater fuller revelation manifesting his very presence. Uh, and in fact, as uh, Jacob Milgram, a Jewish commentator, just even talking about like with Joseph and Pharaoh, 
He gave dreams to the prisoners and to Pharaoh. They couldn't interpret them. And, and their, their wise men couldn't interpret them. God had to speak to Joseph and give him the meaning of it so he could reveal it to them. In fact, he could have just spoken through Joseph, but the dream is what made them look for Joseph and bring them to Pharaoh. Oh, he's, told, he's explained dreams before. It's because God told him what it meant. You know, it's not because he was so clever or anything or he was good at uh, picking apart like abstract dreams. Uh, he would have been the same as their so-called like wise men and enchanters and such. But he, it had to be spoken. It had to be revealed. And so here, it's, it's not clear. It's emphasizing sort of and, and so direct. I speak in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. And they're parallel. This is the very heart and center of the chiasm. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. So he's trusted, trustworthy, very much like Joseph was first with Potiphar and then in the prison with the jailer and then Pharaoh, Moses, in God's household, Israel. In fact, the author of Hebrews even draws on that Moses, when we talk about Jesus, they make the connection that he fulfills the office of prophet. And you see Moses, you see Elijah, he's a prophet like Moses. But they also go beyond and say, he's also a prophet in his own class. Like he's the king of kings and lord of lords. He's the prophet of prophets, the judge of judges, and the priest of priests. And so the author of Hebrews says that Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant. Jesus is faithful as a son, as the builder of the house, you know, not a servant. We are his house. He's the builder of the house. God builds his house and Jesus builds his church, his assembly, and he's faithful as a son, far greater than Moses. And so you have these connections like Moses and yet, you know, not, uh, he's far, infinitely far above and beyond him as well. Uh, and so he is faithful in all my house uh, in Israel. Uh, with him, I speak mouth to mouth. Sometimes they'll say face to face, uh, personal, uh, tangible uh, before him. And not clearly, but visibly, it's the, it's the same word as vision, so a sight, but now it's being used for clarity uh, for, for, uh, for God and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of, of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And now we're about out of time. So we'll quickly go through just the last verses and we'll, we'll continue, you know, eventually Lord, Lord willing. So uh, here you, you have this striking contrast and they're saying, doesn't God speak through us as well? Hasn't, hasn't he spoken uh, to us as well as Moses? And he's showing Moses is not just another prophet with the 70 with Eldad and Medad and Aaron and uh, Miriam. And so verse 9, And the anger of Yahweh was kindled against them, and he departed. When the cloud removed from over the tent, uh, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow, and Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, do not punish us. So he, can, he doesn't speak to God now. He's Moses' prophet. And so now like, he sounds like Joshua. Oh, my Lord, Moses. He, he's acknowledging, yeah, God has appointed you in his household as his faithful servant, steward. Oh, my Lord, do not punish us. Do not place this sin upon us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he, he or she comes out of his mother's womb. It's like one stillborn uh, where someone who's leprous was considered as one who was dead and to be separated from the, the community. And Moses cried to Yahweh, oh God, please heal her, please. Now, there's something kind of funny where actually when you read it, it sounds like he sounds like he's saying the same thing as Aaron uh, where Aaron says, uh, my Lord, oh, 
my Lord, alna tashet, alna, uh, please do not, not please, uh, place upon us the sin. It sounds like he's about to say the same thing. Alna refanala. And so it looks like a negation. Please do not, please do not heal her. <laughs> it almost looks like he's saying, please do not heal her. Uh, but then with the context, kind of the repetition of please, it then, it then looks like it, God, L, uh, all, L. It, it's just a difference of a vowel point. And so, uh, uh, and some even maybe render it, uh, please no, please heal her. And so it's like, is he saying, please don't heal her? Or, or, or uh, God, please, uh, please, please heal her? Uh, re repeating it. So there's a little ambiguity, but as you follow through, uh, even where it says El Yahweh, Tiawe, it, it becomes clear that he seems to be interceding with, with God's response. But uh, it's a hard thing for Moses that he's, he's dealing with and he doesn't give quite as much as Aaron. And so some say that Moses, although he intercedes, okay, it's his sister, maybe not so enthusiastic. They're coming against him, trying to destroy him. And the people have been, you know, out to stone him and such. And so, but he says, uh, Oh God, uh, uh, cries out, please heal her, please. And so calls on him to, to heal Miriam, uh, even with them coming against him, uh, showing his humility. But Yahweh said to Moses, if her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? Uh, and even the uh, Aviha, and so her father, Yarok Yarok Befanea, um, spitting spit in her fa face, Rok Bemoshe, Diber Yahweh, Rok Bemoshe, only, only uh, upon or to Yahweh has God spoken. And now, Yarok uh, Yarok Befanea, Rok Bemoshe, only only by Moses. Uh, now spitting, spitting in her face. And so he's drawing a word, word play on going against Moses. If her father had but spit her in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? And you can even read about Deuteronomy where a woman whose brother-in-law will not give a child if his brother dies. She was to remove his sandal. If he went listen to the elders, remove his sandal from, from his foot. It's not a cultural thing we do. And spit upon him and say, this is what happens to the man who does not, you know, preserve his, his brother. And so it's to shame. Uh, and so if her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. And so we see judgment, but there's also kind of a tender thing here. Okay, Miriam is a disobedient, rebellious defiant daughter with the leprosy God has spit upon her so to speak shamed her for speaking against her brother uh, that he has established in his household uh, and, and his, his royal household and such and so he shames her but as a father to a daughter and he doesn't leave her he could have just left her outside the camp apart from God's household apart from her brother, her sister, uh, the, the Israelites. But he says, let her be shut outside the camp seven days to be pure, for purification, an idea of like rest and such. Uh, and after that, she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days and the people did not set out on the march till Miriam was brought in again. After that, the people set out from Hazarot and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Hazarot uh, even rhymes with some of the things of her lep leprosy, Metzoraat. It kind of even sounds like elements of Miriam with a skin condition. And Hatsi uh, Vesaro, half its flesh. Hatsarot, Hatsi Vesaro, or Vesaro. And so, well, he's drawing on that, and Hatsarot can even be for like outside, like a courtyard. and such and so maybe some of that and so here Miriam and Aaron rebel he, he punishes he disciplines as a daughter as a son in his household 
uh, this is serious. It's going to lead, I mean, eventually they're wandering in the wilderness, uh, their deaths, not being able to enter into the promised land at that time. But he, he brings her back in. He doesn't just consume her like with fire or with those with the craving who went down to the graves. And so, again, you see mercy and judgment along the way, and God gives retributive, just ju judgment. It fits the crime uh, along, along the way. And so it's these texts, uh, and also like the end of Deuteronomy 34, uh, which we'll look, Lord willing, in the future. It's not Deuteronomy 18 where there talks about, like the, like the other offices, uh, that... Uh, a prophet will arise after you, contrasting with false prophets of the peoples, um, from you among your brothers. And Moses was from among their brothers. They were to be Israelite. That's one of the tests for a prophet. Uh, and that, and like when he said, uh, the people said to him, don't have God speak to us, have him speak to you. You speak to us. God speaks through the prophet, uh, not, not through, uh, not through not directly to the, the people. And so it is with Samuel, Elijah, Elisha. But when you start to read, like with Moses commissioning uh, in this text that shows he's not just another prophet. There were many prophets in his day, but Moses was the prophet par excellence in his day. Uh, kind of like Elijah and Elisha in their day and Samuel, Jehoiada, uh, and ultimately Christ. But these texts in Deuteronomy 34, for all the signs and wonders that he did, you know, there has never been, uh, there's not been a prophet like Moses uh, who knew God face to face. It's these that elevate Moses uh, and, and bring it up, 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 up. That when Christ comes, you're like, this is the culmination and even beyond. I mean, beyond Moses uh, him, himself. And so this broader like context as you read these things uh, elevates and shows the, the status and the authority of Moses. And that'll be important, staying the, the Torah and uh, Genesis uh, is as well. So let's uh, close in prayer and we'll continue in the future, Lord willing. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for the, the wisdom and all of your grace and mercy uh, for pointing your servant Moses. And although he, he was a sinner, uh, he was uh, the, the man Moses. As a God Aaron, but just the man Moses. And he's a sinner like us, and uh, we thank you for him. We thank you for your uh, word uh, that you've given uh, from him, uh, your law, your Torah. Uh, we thank you for your whole counsel that you've brought about through uh, your apostles and prophets and that you've spoken finally and authoritatively through, uh, through your son. And so we thank you for all these things and pray that you'd, Put your word, uh, your gospel on our lips and that we would have opportunity and the boldness to speak it clearly and with uh, authority, with uh, your authority uh, by, by your spirit and through your word. And so we thank you for these things and uh, pray in your son's name. Amen.